What is going on, everybody? It is Triple Crown 24 back today, releasing this on a Sunday. Typically, this show is reserved for Thursday afternoons, but happy Sunday as we roll into National Week. This is the Sports Card Psychology Podcast. I'm your host, JT, Triple Crown 24, and I'm very excited to talk today about the National. It is on our doorstep. In fact, some of you may be listening to this while you travel to the show, whether you're just plugging me in through the aux cord in your car or you're taking out your airpods and you're listening to me while you're in the airport terminal waiting for your flight uh, to philadelphia or atlantic city whatever the case may be i hope that uh you're well and i thank you so much for joining me today there's been a lot of talk leading up to the national about the national as there is every single year pretty much most of the voices out there and the hobby landscape in terms of social media and various podcasts are going to preview the Nationals some way, sometimes even if they're not attending themselves. I will be attending this year. If you do see me, I encourage you to say hello. Usually I am wearing a shirt with sleeves. I have, I don't have these glasses on that I've been wearing uh, when I'm in front of the computer screen. My hair is done up a little bit, but you get the general gist of what I look like. So if you do see me, uh, make sure you say hello. I always enjoy uh, just talking to new people. And uh, I've, I've always gotten great feedback about the show whenever I've had people come up and see that they've heard something about it or watch one of my other videos on YouTube. So, But those stories will be for after the National, hopefully to meet a lot of great people there. And I'll, I'll be sure to tell those in my recap videos up on my YouTube channel. But today I want to talk about what I'm expecting it to look like going into the show. And really what I have is a seven-point plan here uh, of what I expect out of the National in 2022. How I have it broken down is I want to start with the attendance. So who is actually going to be there? What do I think it will look like attendance-wise? We'll break down kind of what the buyers and the sellers, so both sides of the table, are really going to be looking to do at this show other than of course buy and sell we'll break it down a little bit more than that i also want to talk about what the show floor is going to look like and how i think pricing is going to play out for vintage singles modern singles and also wax uh, i won't really get into supplies and stuff like that but those big three categories we'll we'll dissect a little bit more and last but not least kind of the after hours there's a lot of activities that go on outside of the show hours and to really see uh you know see atlantic city come to life at night uh what, what do i expect it will be like this year after chicago was kind of unprecedented in 2021 in terms of all of the activities that were going on after the show so let's waste no time let's get right into it this year the show is in atlantic city and it's Probably no surprise if you've been on social media at all, I heard anyone talk about the National, you've probably heard some people bagging on the show being in Atlantic City. I will say that out of the main three destinations being Chicago, Cleveland, and AC, typically AC is among the least popular destinations. And one of the main reasons is because it is not as convenient to travel to as Chicago or Cleveland, say, especially Chicago being it's the most centralized location within the United States. There are a lot of flights that go in and out of Chicago because it is a hub. It's also an international airport and there's a lot of international flights. So people from all over come in through Chicago. There's a lot of connecting flights that go through there. So you have no problem finding a way to get there, whether it's by plane or by car. Cleveland is, I would say, not as accessible as Chicago, especially when you get into the area right around the convention center. A lot of times you'll have to travel by car to get to a lot of other points of interest, including hotels. So that is a, a bit of an inconvenience. I have never been to Atlantic City. I have been to Chicago for the national only. My, this will be my third one. I went in 2019 and 2021. Uh, Cleveland, I have been to the convention center there where it is hosted by, I have not been there for a national. So I, I have the general gist of the idea. I have never been to Atlantic City. Uh, I have been to New Jersey as a state one time. That was back in 2008. So it has definitely been a while. I To say that I'm familiar with Atlantic City would be a gross understatement because I'm not at all. Um, so 
with the inconvenience of getting there, I've heard a lot about people saying also just due to high gas prices and high airfare costs, high hotel costs, that they're going to be opting out of this year's show. And if you didn't make your plans early on, then I would totally understand that. But keep in mind that there were people who were making their reservations for the national as soon as last year's show ended. And that includes myself, uh, my my buddies who I'll be staying with in an Airbnb. We had that thing booked probably within like two weeks of the closing of the 2021 national in Chicago. So for those who did plan ahead of time, I doubt very much has changed. And just because a lot of people on social media are saying they're not going to attend, I still feel that it's going to be a very well attended event. We'll have nearly the attendance and record-breaking attendance that was maybe advertised a couple of times. I don't think so. Uh, I think there will probably be some no-shows for those who bought tickets and now are just kind of kind of eat the cost of the tickets if they're unable to move them. Do I think that it's going to be kind of like a 2016 level of attendance when the Atlantic City National last happened? No, I think it will probably be closer to something like 2019, where there was definitely a, a higher attendance than previous years. It was in Chicago then. Uh, you know, that's that's one thing that's a major difference here. But I do believe that there will be quite a few people there, and those who are going there will be going to make moves, if you will, whether it's buying, selling, or trading. And the reason I say that is because it is not cheap to go this year uh, for the aforementioned reasons. But even if you were to get in on some of these things pre, uh, <laughs> you know, pre-inflation, I, I know that inflation has been going on for a while now, but before things got you know to the point where they're at now, it would still be very difficult to justify the cost for a lot of people just because it's difficult to fly into Atlantic City. You have to go through Philadelphia, and then you got to take a fairly expensive Uber uh, more often than not to go from the airport in Philadelphia to Atlantic City. The hotel accommodations are a bit pricey. It is a fairly popular tourist city, so it makes sense. But I believe that those who go there, if they're going to put in this much overhead just to get there, regardless of what side of the table you're on, you're going to hope to have a good show. You're going to make it worth your while. So I think that those who are going there are going to be, they're going to be spending. And those who went to set up, they're going to be motivated to sell, but they will not be giving things away. And that kind of leads us into the next point of address here, points two and three. What are we expecting out of buyers and sellers at this show? We'll start with the buyer side of things. I will be a buyer in theory at this show. The reason I say in theory is because lately I have felt that I don't even need to set up at a show to sell more than I buy. And it's not because I'm the guy who takes his Pelican case around and just sets it on the showcases and blocks everybody from seeing the cars and constantly going around asking you buying, you buying. I've actually had a lot of dealers approach me uh, while I'm walking up to their table asking if they can look at my stuff that I have with me because I do carry my case around with me with my cards uh, that I would be potentially interested in trading or selling. So they do ask me for it. And I see it happen actually with a few dealers that I've been set up next to before where they're asking, you know, can I take a look at your your case? And I've even asked that too at the Nashville show. There were a couple of people who I asked that too because I saw them you know, looking to make deals with other people. And I wanted to just see what they had. Maybe there was something in there that you couldn't find. There might be some really cool stuff that isn't even in the showcases at this show. You just never know. And if you go to the trade nights, you will likely see a lot of those cards there as well. Uh, but for the most part, I would say uh, the buyers there are going to be looking to maybe do some selling and trading. I think the, the trading part of it has blown up huge. I'm a huge trader myself. Uh, but for the most part, they will be looking to buy and they will be looking for deals. There is a lot of talk about some dealers who will probably need to cut some deals, especially later on in the show. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I do agree with that sentiment. Uh, I think you're going to have to kind of pick and choose your spots. And that kind of ties into what we're expecting versus what the reality is going to be and what we may anticipate could happen. And there's a huge difference between the two. But uh, the buyers there are looking to uh, to get deals, basically. Uh, in terms of what will be hot, again, I'll, I keep saying this, but I will cover it in a moment when we talk about 
what I think the show floor is going to uh, consist of mostly. So buyers wise, they're going to be looking for dealer uh, deals. Everybody loves a good deal. I think you're going to see a lot of people on their phones. They're going to hear the word comps more than you ever have before. And that's just because that's in the lead up to the national at some of these larger regional shows like the Midwest monster, like the Nashville show. I heard that word so many times and really there's, I did a whole podcast episode on this, but there's become an over-reliance on this term comps, which is an ironic term in the sense that a lot of people get their comps, so to speak, from 130 point, which is a website that doesn't necessarily account for sales that are not actually completed. And comps is supposed to be short for completed sales. I talked about that for a whole hour, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to go on that same uh, monologue here again, but I would expect to hear it. And I'll probably hear a lot of people complaining about comp manipulation or not painting a full picture. It's something that I've been experiencing a lot lately, and it has definitely uh, reduced my trust in a lot of people just because I've had dealers tell me that there were these sales that are just, it's either completely bogus or just making them up, or they are... Uh, picking and choosing their spots. So the card sold back in April for $200 and then one for $150 uh, at the start of July. But then last weekend, it, there was one that randomly sold for $450. Oh, the last one did $450. But that doesn't really paint a full picture. If, is that the all-time high for the card? Why was that the case? And every single card is different. Uh, if you think that you can pin it down to an algorithm, I would love to hear it, but uh, I don't think a lot of people can, despite what they may claim. So it will be, uh, I think that will make it frustrating for both buyers and then sellers who are looking to buy from people. Uh, if they go strictly based off of comps, I think there will be a lot of deals that don't end up getting done. But at the same time, I think that you can use that to your advantage in certain spots, especially on cards that are a bit more rare, that don't come up for sale all too often. But uh, I would say don't take anyone at face value for what they say. Uh, of course, when you're when you're selling a card, the idea is that you want to get the most you can out of it while a buyer wants to get it for the least amount possible. So buyers and sellers are constantly at ends because their goal is always at the opposite end of the spectrum. So. Uh, it's all about finding that compromise, but don't take anyone at their word. Just my personal experience and my two sets. So uh, that's mostly what I think the buyers will be looking for is just deals and looking to stay within comps. <laughs> so uh, the sellers, how I think well the sellers will go down. This is kind of uh, you know setting up at some of the bigger shows and also walking around the bigger shows talking to a lot of the dealers there, especially some of the big time dealers who I know will be, um, the, they'll be coming to the national to set up and seeing how they've done it. Some of the more regional shows, I do believe a lot of them are going to start high on pricing. If you walk into the show on preview day, which is Wednesday, expecting that there's just going to be deals galore. I think that you're going to be extremely disappointed. If you think that you're going to get a bunch of really great deals on anything that is on your shopping lists. I just don't really see that happening, uh, especially on the stuff that is a little bit more difficult to find or the stuff that the dealers say, well, I'm into it for this. I know a lot of people out there who are listening to this probably roll their eyes whenever uh, they hear that at a show. I am included in that, you know, like I'm, I'm into it for this. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, but that, I'm not going to pay that. And sometimes you got to take a loss, right? So uh, I do believe that there is going to be some cracks in the foundation, though, as the week goes along. So why do I think that? Well, it goes into this idea that is going to be very centralized to this entire discussion today. That is the argument between the anticipation of what is to come at the national and our expectations for the national. So the way that I'm approaching this video is I might throw in there, I expect a couple of times today, and that is an accident. I don't mean to say it like that because I really shouldn't be saying it like that. What I'm more so saying today is I am anticipating these things. And part of that is uh, self-serving because I don't want to go into the national with these expectations that in turn 
narrow my focus. And if they don't happen, it dampens my experience, right? So when you have anticipation towards something, there is a lot of excitement that comes with it. A lot of, uh, they say anticipation is 70% of the fun and the excitement. Because as I sit here recording this now, the whole week of the national is ahead of me. Kind of the clock hasn't started yet. Whereas when you're on the show floor, show floor time is valuable time. You'll hear many people say that. And it goes by really quickly, uh, much quicker than you expect. And you don't want to be in a position where as time kind of starts to run out, you feel that you haven't really gotten your bang for your buck. If you paid a lot to get to the show, paid a lot to get into the show, or you just had these expectations of I'm going to pick up this card, this card, and this card. I'm going to buy a lot of cards of this player. I'm looking for this specific rare card that's kind of a needle in a haystack. If you go in with the kind of narrow expectations, I think it will damper your experience and you may miss out on opportunities. Uh, There's opportunity costs, extreme opportunity costs involved with the national just because of the scope of the event. If you think about how many tables there are, how many value boxes there will be, how many people there will be to interact with and take a look at what they brought with them at the trade nights and all of that, all those little side events, there are going to be too many opportunities for you to fully explore. And even the ones that you do get to explore, you probably still won't even fully explore. So it's very crucial to manage your time properly. I'm kind of going on a bit of a tangent here, but that's all right. Uh, But the opportunity cost is there where if you, decide that you are going to wait in line for a uh, special at like Tops or Panini or one of the corporate booths, just know that will be time that you do not get back to go walk the show floor and maybe look at singles or to go uh, to all these other places or to meet up with friends, whatever the case may be. So with that being said, uh, for sellers specifically, one of the things that I think will be very difficult for them is that they will not be able to go around and buy too much inventory. And I've been seeing this happen a lot lately at like the Midwest monster and especially at the Nashville show. And one of the things that was successful for me there was on day three, there were a lot of dealers who were telling me that they never got to leave their table and see what everyone else had for the weekend. And that was true. I walked around and I recognized some of the dealers who had visited my table on day one or day two Not too many of them were there on day two. It was mostly before uh, VIP hours of day one. But as time went along, one of the things that I found was that the dealers, when I came up to them, I was like, well, I was set up over there. I'll bring my stuff to you. And if you are at the table, that means that you have the opportunity to sell, but you don't necessarily have the opportunity to buy. You are limited to what is offered to you. Uh, by the people who are coming up with cards to possibly sell or trade. On the other end of that, if you go out and walk to another table and look for maybe some new inventory to buy, that is time that you are spending away from your table, which means that that might be people who walk by who may have been interested in purchasing something from you and you miss out on that sale as a cost of being able to walk around and possibly finding a deal on some new inventory. Now, typically at these larger shows, people are going in teams, right? They have employees who come with them or a spouse, a sibling, a friend, whatever the case may be, where those people can kind of manage the table and in some cases make those transactions happen. That gives the owner or the the buyer, so to speak, uh, of their group more autonomy to roam around and try to make deals from the other side of the table as well. However, with just how massive this show is. And I see a lot of these guys who, even though they have those people that are to watch over the stuff, those people aren't allowed to, or don't know how to make those calls on whether or not they can take $10 off a card or uh, whether or not they'll trade for certain things and they'll need the main person to come back. And I'm sorry, but if that's the case for me, I'm not waiting around. Uh, If you got to pull out your phone to look up the prices of your cards, I'm walking away because there's a lot more things for me to explore And I don't want to waste my time just sitting there waiting for you to pull up your phone so that I can uh, get every penny I have squeezed out of me for this specific card. So that's another little diatribe there. But uh, floor time will be extremely valuable. So I think the sellers that, you know, they know their stuff and are able to turn over deals fairly quickly 
will be the ones that are most successful. You could say that really for any show. Uh, but for the most part, they're going to start up high with high expectations for the national. I think that there's always, if you're setting up for the national, you hope that you have your best show ever. Uh, that's at least, you know, if I were to be the one on that side of the table setting up, I would expect my entire showcase to be cleared out, which is not, I think, a very realistic expectation, but that's what I would kind of hope for to offset the massive costs that go into just making it there and getting yourself all set up uh, at the show. But I do feel that as time goes on is that there will be some dealers who are pressed to make deals, particularly the smaller ones. So your big time dealers where I don't even need to say their names. They're the ones that you're thinking of as you hear me speak right now. I don't necessarily feel that they are going to have that pressure. They might feel like they didn't do all that well, but I don't think that they will deviate from their game plan too much. They won't be handing out these really great deals. But if you have someone who's maybe a bit smaller, it might be their first time setting up at a national. Those might be the people who are more willing to uh, cut deals if they're not having a great show. If they are, don't expect prices to come down. Uh, if something's working, then, then why change it, right? So that is uh, my expectation for both buyers and sellers at this show. Uh, is that there will be a lot of anticipation there uh, for what is to come. But uh, in terms of expectations, when those expectations are not met for both the buyers and the sellers, you will see some frustration. And then I think you'll start to see some caving in on both sides where sellers may choose to uh, come down on their asking prices or buyers may decide that, hey, I'm just going to pony up for this. Or if I'm looking to sell something as someone who's not set up, Maybe I, I am willing to take that loss on the card and kind of move on, recoup some funds, and so be it. So that is it for uh, buyers and sellers. Let's talk about the show floor. I broke this down at the beginning for wax, vintage, and modern. So the three kind of big categories that I'm going to be lumping this into and what I expect out of each category. Let's start off with wax. This one is the most interesting of the three because out of everything that there is to buy in the hobby, there's, of course, steel product. You have your singles of all types of sports, all types of eras. You have your supplies as well. You have your uh, actual like game used, so your more so memorabilia side of things. You have the autographed side of things where it's your IP TTM autographs out there. All of these different areas, for the most part, a lot of it has come down in some cases significantly, but at least adequately, I'll say, since last year's national. With one exception, and that would be wax prices. And I will say that I am fairly surprised that the wax market hasn't moved as much as I thought it would. Has it come down? Maybe a little bit. And for certain products, it certainly has. I saw a tweet the other day, and we did a whole episode on, on this product that advertised WWE prison boxes for, I believe, $350 a box online. It was definitely under $400, but I remember those things going for upwards of twelve dollars to $1,500 at kind of their peak. Right around the product's release, I know that at release they were around $800, and I still don't even think now that it would be even worth it to rip it at half that price of uh, $350. I, I think $150. I would try a box as a non-wrestling fan who knows that there's a lot of hype around the product. But if I wanted to, you know, dip my toes into it, I, I think 150 would probably be the number that I was comfortable with. Uh, but aside from the hardcore fans of that product, the, the interest in it has really died down. It hasn't sustained as much interest to say something like Formula One has, uh, where the, the fan base seems to be a bit more behind the cards uh, than the wrestling fans do in terms of the specific products. So the, in terms of formula one, uh, there seems to be a very large interest in the chromium cards. I don't know really what is out there available for formula one. So that might be part of it as well. But uh, if you look at wrestling wise and even to some extent, UFC wise as well, I've seen the same thing where a lot of UFC prices have come down a little bit. Uh, because people are more so interested in those cards from the early 2010s, maybe even the late part of the decade before that, rather than the newer releases now. So despite all that, 
wax still remains incredibly high. Sorry, just needed a little drink there. Um, and what what really turned me on to this idea was that the fact that I saw Chronicles football available online for like six hundred dollars a box. I remember opening them at three fifty uh, during the Herbert and Burrow year. I did extremely well with them. That's why I was that's why I opened a handful of boxes back then. But even at three fifty a box, I felt that it was a little much, especially for a product like Chronicles that. As time has gone on, it's kind of shown that it's uh, it hasn't really stood the test of time well in terms of secondary market pricing. To give you an idea, I know a product is in trouble if I'm able to buy it at my local Meyer. So Meyer has this policy here uh, where I live at in Cincinnati, where most of the stores, you have to be in line still at 6 a.m. and you're only limited to a certain number of items. And that's the only time you can buy the I guess, premium products are the most desired products, but anything that's sat for a while eventually gets moved to the uh, regular retail shelves where you can purchase them at any time. And I actually saw a lot of Chronicles basketball there uh, that has sat there for months now. Uh, I just went in yesterday and I kind of just like to take a look around and see it. I can't remember the last time I actually bought something but I do like to see kind of how the market is evolving. So uh, in spite of that, and it's kind of decreased popularity and certainly the decrease in the singles, the wax prices haven't really kept up with the singles where they are staying high. And part of that is because the wax is still selling. It's still selling through group breaks, which makes it a lot easier to stomach the cost. But I don't think what a lot of people who are newer to the hobby who or getting into a lot of these breaks understand is that a lot of these prices that they're paying for one to two box breaks used to be able to get you the same team or the same, uh, you know, to get a random team for the same price in an entire case break. Now your chase uh, cards and the products are worth way more than they were back in the day. Uh, a Topps Chrome Super Fractor of Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't really was never really worth near what the Mac Jones uh, finite prism asking price has been, or what the one sale of it was for a hundred thousand dollars. That was kind of, I think, a little bit unrealistic back then. Um, outside of your really grail cards in the hobby in general, but it seems that there are no shortage of cards that are now comic cards out there that you can hit out of these boxes. The problem with it is that a lot of times to hit those cards, you almost have to pay that much just to open the box itself. And the odds of pulling them are so incredibly thin. And all of that would make you lead to believe, you know, a diminishing singles market, record inflation, a economic recession, that wax prices would come down. But that just really hasn't been the case. And I will be the first to tell you here that would not expect too many deals on wax at this show. If you're someone who likes to open up sealed product and you're hoping to maybe find some stuff, especially from the big time dealers, and it's largely because they don't have to. There are still people who are buying it. And with the looming Fanatics deal as well, there will be some significant changes to the distribution methods out there. And it's it's a bit of a sinking ship, I think, for some of the big time distributors out there because their whole business model is about to take a huge hit. So there's kind of two things that you can do is that you can abandon ship right away, or you can stick around and try to salvage as much as possible before you are forced out. And the plan right now seems to be closer to the latter rather than the former, especially seeing how the more recent prism releases in basketball and football and most, most recently optic football have been, it would definitely indicate that people are more so leaning to, or the, uh, I should say the vendors are more so leaning towards kind of getting everything they can before they can no longer capitalize on these record profits that they are getting on these uh, sealed products. So that is kind of my expectation going forward for, uh, for sealed wax at this show. The good news, however, is that uh, I do think that there will be a lot more opportunities if you are looking to buy singles. 
And there's kind of two ways to look at it. There is vintage and there is modern. So let's go old school to kick it off. Let's talk about vintage cards. Now, the National has always been known as a show that has a very diverse selection of vintage as well as some unicorns that you will see put out in showcases. Like You will see some mid to high grade mantles out on, you know, out on the show floor. Uh, are they everywhere where you can kind of just look in any direction and there will be one right there? No, they're not like that, but you will see more in person than you have seen at any other event, unless you have also been to another national. That's just kind of part of it. You'll probably see, uh, I know in years past, I've seen a Wagner there, the T206 Wagner. I've seen some crazy high grade examples of some classic vintage cards of your big time names, your Mickey Mantles, your Hank Aaron's, your Willie Mazes out there. You'll see some of those difficult sets and gem mint 10s, just these extremely low pop vintage cards that are out there. Those will make their appearance on the show floor. The reason that I'm saying that you will see them is because they're likely some of the same cards that we've seen at past nationals. Uh, and by past nationals, I'm, I'm not referring to the show as the nationals. I'm saying a you know multiple national events. I know that that's a, a big thing that people will get upset if you, if you say nationals. So it is the national, but at multiple past nationals, <laughs> these cards have been there as well for clarification. But really a lot of people going there, even if they are these big ballers who are looking to spend, those cards are still out of reach and they're not really realistic for 99.9% of hobbyists out there to even think about owning much less make a, a serious offer towards one. But th there are people out there, and perhaps some of those deals do go down. Uh, regardless of that, though, there will be some deals on vintage. It will just be you're going to have to pick and choose your spots. What I mean by that is one of the problems that I often run into when looking at certain vintage cards of the National, and this was especially true back in 19 when I was working on my Tigers Ultimate Team set, is that most of the vintage cards, people are putting out their best examples of them, which would make sense. You want to kind of put your best foot forward. And you want to put out the cards that are going to attract people to your showcase. Uh, and you're going to want to make the most money possible if you're setting up. And that means putting out your best cards. The problem for me with that is that I don't want these super high grade cards for my vintage that I'm going to be buying. I was looking for cards to put in my binder. So I'm looking for your PSA 1, PSA 2 quality cards. If it has a crease, so be it. If it's the right price, then I'll I'll buy it because that's what I need. And I've talked to a lot of people who do collect vintage and they feel the same way. They are more still looking for these collector grade cards when you're seeing these 60s tops cards that are popping up in these 8s and 9s, which is great. I mean, they're beautiful cards, but... The price tag that comes with paying for that assigned grade just doesn't always justify the cost, especially if you're trying to pick up uh, quantity. If you're building a set, let's say, or you're doing a player run where you're going to need up to a few dozen cards to complete your run, you just don't want to pay that much for one specific card unless maybe it's a rookie or something. But even then, good luck getting <laughs> the eights and nines of those for a reasonable price because they are... Uh, they're in high demand, and, and you will certainly pay the price for it. Where I think that the deals will be had, though, is that when those lower-grade cards do make their way to the surface, and sometimes you have to ask for them. I've, I've had dealers before where I've said, do you happen to have this card in a little bit lower grade? And they do, and they pull it out for me. It just they weren't in the showcase. Uh, that's where you'll find a lot of your deals, I think. And it won't necessarily be on Mantle, Aaron Mays. I think for a lot of those guys, especially the Hall of Fame rookies, not necessarily of the inner circle Hall of Famers, as I like to call them, but just in general, I would expect a premium for those. But really anything else, I think the door is wide open, especially your non-flagship cards like your Topps game, your Kellogg's cards, all of those types. Those are the ones that seem to have been hit uh, the most, I would say, by kind of the recession and the downturn in the market. Are they near 2019 levels? No, and I don't really think that we're going to get back to those levels. And if we do, it won't be anytime soon, despite kind of this correction, I guess you could call it, that's going on right now. 
uh, and has really been going on for about a year. But naturally, when you have a correction, that will lead to some overcorrection. And when money is tight, people kind of try to stick to the bare bones essentials in just terms of the actual necessities that they need, but also in their uh, extracurriculars as well. They might really narrow their focus to certain cards. And in turn, when you have decreased popularity, it may also lead to increased supply because not as many of these cards are being sold out there. And that might incentivize dealers, especially if they've been holding on to something for a bit more. When it becomes a sunk cost, it's easier to let it go and get a good deal because it almost feels that you are into it for nothing because you're essentially eating the cost. Or at least that's the way that I have thought before as a dealer when I've been, quote unquote, stuck with something. So uh, I would expect to see a lot of vintage at this show. There is, I mean, it's the national. <laughs> There's always a lot of vintage at the national. So I don't see that really changing. Uh, but I think that you will find some deals out there may not be necessarily the biggest names, but uh, if you keep your eyes out, there will most certainly be some really good opportunities on the vintage side. Let's go over to the modern side, though. What do I expect to be popular? Well, right now, if you ask me what is the most popular asked about sport, it would be football. It kind of makes sense as we near training camp. There are some rookies that are already starting to report to camp, and I think a lot of people are are really gearing up for football season. And there's something that's going on right now that I like to call the arms race. No, it's not about, you know, people or countries building up their military capabilities. Uh, what I'm more so referring to in terms of arms is people who throw footballs. So arms being quarterbacks. And it feels right now that there is so many people who have kind of picked out one or two quarterbacks that they are they're planting their flag down and they're saying this is my guy this is going to be the guy and i think this year's nfl season is going to be incredibly interesting especially on the afc side of things if we go down the list of all the quarterbacks the one that i am asked about the most is josh allen but if you look at the quarterbacks just in his division you have mac jones with the patriots you have Tua Tagovailoa with the Dolphins, and you have Zach Wilson with the Jets. And I've had people come up to me who are speculating wildly on all four of those guys. That's just one division. The AFC North, there are a lot of people thinking that Lamar Jackson, who is in a contract year, uh, and he's hasn't really worked out a deal with the Ravens, we don't know how it's going to pan out, has been asked about a lot for me. You had the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow, who Actually, seems to be one of the guys who was lost in the shuffle. Uh, I don't get asked about him nearly as much as some of the other guys, which is interesting to see, but he's going to attempt to run it back. You have a very interesting situation with Deshaun Watson. We'll go into that too much uh, here, but there, there are definitely people out there who see Watson's cards as an opportunity. Take that for what you will. I know that's a very controversial situation, and uh, I, I'm not going to put my thoughts into it right now, but there, is, uh, there are people who are buying, selling, and trading his cards. It's just how it's going down. Uh, they're not as much recently, but Mitch Trubisky seems to be a guy who has had some renewed interest uh, with now with the Steelers kind of given second life in the NFL with a new team and a very prolific franchise. The NFC, or excuse me, the AFC South, you have a second-year guy like Davis Mills who is, uh, there's a lot of, expectations for him to maybe make some noise while some think it's going to be a total disaster in Houston. So I'm hearing both ends of the coin there. Uh, you have a guy like Ryan Tannehill who has held steady interest. He was actually asked about quite a bit. I was in Nashville where the Titans play. So maybe that's why, but he was asked about a bit at the last show. You have a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who was the number one overall pick who's in a much better situation this year, in my opinion. He's a guy who I personally am high on. I think he will have a fantastic season. Uh, he is He's a winner. He's been a winner at every level except for the NFL level. And guy who I think will figure it out. Uh, also, who am I forgetting here? You have the Colts, very good team. Perhaps one of the best defenses in the AFC, who now have Matt Ryan, uh, a proven veteran, former MVP, coming over. And perhaps the toughest division of them all I haven't even gotten to yet. You have the AFC West. You have kind of the the king of the castle with Patrick Mahomes. He's 
I would say the guy to beat in the, in the AFC and not as much has been talked about with him since he lost Tyree kill this off season. I think it'll be fine, but you have Derek Carr who is surrounded by a pretty sneaky, good Raiders team uh, who added arguably the best receiver in the league in Devonte Adams. You have Justin Herbert who next to Josh Allen has been the most asked about guy for me. And you have the former Super Bowl champion and Russell Wilson joining the Broncos. So I ran through every single AFC team and every single one of the quarterbacks I have had people ask about or people want to speculate on. The NFC side, admittedly, is much weaker. Uh, of course, there's talk about Brady. When is there not talk about Brady? But I haven't heard too much about the defending Super Bowl champion in the Rams and Matthew Stafford. Kyler Murray kind of been a little bit wishy-washy there has been a lot of interest around Jalen Hurts he's been definitely the most asked about NFC quarterback and you hear you know every now and then some some Prescott guys you hear maybe a little bit about well now with Baker Mayfield going to the Panthers of course you'll hear about Aaron Rodgers but uh, a lot of talk about Trey Lance now in his second year and kind of being the guy in San Francisco it would seem there's a lot of uh, kind of mixed feeling, I would say, on the NFC. But the AFC, there is so much loaded talent out there. The problem with it is that out of all those quarterbacks I mentioned, only one of them is going to the Super Bowl this next year. They'll play someone from the NFC, and it's not even guaranteed that they'll win. But in terms of this arms race right now, what it seems to be is that all of the potential has been kind of uh, sucked away from these guys already. If I didn't know any better, Josh Allen and the Bills already won the Super Bowl this year because there are so many people who believe that this is their year, that they are the team to beat uh, when you know Josh Allen hasn't made it to a Super Bowl in his career. And even if he does win the Super Bowl this year, the expectations have been set so high that there is really only one outcome that will satisfy people out there. And even if we do reach that one outcome, that was the expectation all along. So how much more a price is going to go up? A lot of the people who bought them had that expectation. So he just did what they thought they were going to do. And a lot of times what happens when you have all that expectation that ramps up with these guys, it takes away any chance for them to go up in value. I talked about the exact same thing with my friend Mike Canadian Cards when we did our championships episode right before the NBA finals with Jason Tatum. His cards went up crazy, and even if the Celtics had won the NBA Finals, Tatum, he didn't have the best finals. Let's say he did a little bit better uh, during the series. There was nowhere for his prices to go but down because him winning the title had already been built into his prices before the series even began. That's really the problem with a lot of these guys is that not all 16 teams in the AFC are going to be good. Some of these guys are going to underperform. Some of them are going to struggle immensely. Some of them, this might be their last year in football, or they might lose their uh, incumbency with their current team. I know that with the Dolphins, it's Tua. This is kind of the make-or-break season for him. And guess what? If, if it's a break, it's going to hurt his card prices. There's only there's only so much patience that we have in this hobby, which a lot of times is not very much, but there is only so much patience. So. I think what you're going to see is that there is still going to be strong interest around these quarterbacks. And if you want one of the big names, be prepared to pay a premium. Do not expect to get these cards for quote unquote below comps because these are the hot names right now. I will say that probably your best opportunity buying wise is going to be in basketball, believe it or not. There's just so much sourness towards the basketball market because so many people lost big, but we've seen massive, uh, you can call it corrections or recessions within the markets for individual players, such as Luca, such as LeBron, such as Giannis. Uh, Steph Curry, for a little while there, but since he won the title, he's kind of one of the few that has maintained his status there. Uh, John Morant prices, even though he had a fantastic season and there's a lot of people asking about him, are still down on some of the higher pop cards. Zion, another guy who has dipped massively. Now, naturally, comparing LeBron to Zion, one of those guys is, you know, in the discussion for the greatest of all time in some opinion, in some people's opinions, while the other guy is largely unproven and a guy who hasn't lived up to expectations and has been injured a lot. So it's a bit of an apples and oranges situation. But even 
if you look back to the retired guys, uh, the Kobe market has been the softest that it's been since his tragic passing a few years ago. Um, even if you look at more retired players, such as a Larry Bird, such as a Magic Johnson, a Wilt Chamberlain, I can go down the list, especially those non-inner circle Hall of Famers outside of your your Jordans, your uh, Robertsons, your Kareems, all those types of guys. There are massive opportunities on that front, which ties more so into the vintage side. It goes along with what I was saying with vintage baseball. But that's what I, I really do see with basketball excuse me, basketball right now is uh, massive opportunities there, especially on your more proven names who may uh, just maybe in a downtime in their career or in the twilight of their career and the attention isn't necessarily on them. There are a lot of opportunities there, in my opinion. So that's uh, that's what I think you will, you'll see a lot of in the modern is that there will be huge premium on quarterbacks and then the guys who are not necessarily in the limelight uh, you will you'll be able to get some deals on. So that is uh, that is what you can look forward to. So that is a review of the show floor. Let's wrap it up with the after hours activities. What am I expecting it to be like? Well, my friend Mike over at Baseball Collector, I know I have a lot of friends named Mike. It's just if you're in the hobby, you probably have a friend named Mike. Um, he uh, he suggested before that because a lot of the hotels in the area are casinos that you won't be seeing a bunch of people who invade the lobbies uh, with their Pelican cases, kind of making their pop-up trade nights happen within the hotel or casino lobbies. And I would agree with that to some extent. I think that uh, those who are organizing the show, now they've made the official trade night, I believe that there will be probably some unofficial trade nights that are hosted by some people that are put together somewhat on the fly uh, once they get to Atlantic City, engage interest in find appropriate venues to have those at, but I don't think that you'll be seeing these really impromptu ones where a bunch of dudes with Pelican cases kind of get together and, and set up their own little shop at, uh, at all these tables that are surrounding the hallways of these hotel room, uh, or these hotel lobbies, I should say. So you'll see a bit more control with that, but, uh, now that trade night itself that is hosted by Ryan and Kentucky road show is an official national event for the first time. I would expect to see more and more of those pop-up trade nights, especially given uh, that the trade night is only one night. It's only on Thursday, right? And a lot of people don't even come into the show until Friday or Saturday. So there will be something going on every single night. I know that personally there is uh, a YouTube get-together on both Thursday and Friday night that is on the calendar for me. I don't know how long I'll stay at them, but certainly in my plans to at least swing by for a little bit to those and You'll definitely expect me <laughs> or expect to see me at, at the trade nights as well. I love going to them and even just, you know, shooting the bull at the very least, if no deals go down and looking at the cool cards that are kind of tucked away in these, these backpacks uh, all over the show floor. You'd be surprised how many people are carrying around some really sweet stuff uh, around the show. So I know that personally, I'm also staying in an Airbnb. I think that you'll see a lot of people who are just hanging out as kind of little groups in their, uh, Airbnbs or their hotel rooms, you'll see a lot of room sharing just because of the costs that it makes it definitely a much more economical. I think for me, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, I think it was like 250 for the entire week uh, for my Airbnb for my portion of it. And we have like a small little house. So, I mean, that's, you can't beat that. I know that there are hotels now where they're four to 500 just a night at this point in time, uh, just due to high demand. So, I'll gladly take that for 250 a week, and it's pretty much within walking distance of the convention center too, which is a huge plus. So, um, I, and after hours too, you know, a large part of the national that people always talk about, and I will 100% back it up, is the experience, and it's really part of what you pay for because you will go to this show and you will meet people or see people that you only see or meet once a year, and it is at this show. That is the case for me. There are people. You know, some of my friends who I've made over the years who will, this is the only time I see them in person every single year. Um, in addition to that, there will be some cards that you only see in person once a year. You can look at pictures of 52 mantles or Honus Wagner cards wherever you go, but <laughs> to actually see them in person and see some of these examples that come out really only at this show do you get to see them in person. 
So it is definitely experience. And I could go on a whole number hour. I'll spare you <laughs> for sure. Um, but I think, again, going back to that central core theme of anticipation versus expectation, what I have found in the past for the national is that whenever I have expected to make certain deals or to find certain cards, almost every single time I am disappointed. I, uh, and it leads to frustration and maybe dampens my experience for the day. Whenever I walk into the show with maybe an, an open mind, I don't, you know, don't just go in there with no game plan, buying things willy nilly. You will run out of money very quickly and you will probably have some buyer's remorse, but you, know, you, you want to have focus, but don't completely have tunnel vision. Don't, it, it's all about moderation. Anticipate having a good time of the show. Anticipate finding those good deals. But I think if you really narrow yourself in, and I'm not telling you how to experience the national, you can do whatever you want, of course, but I'm just speaking from experience that keep yourself as open-minded as possible. And I think that will maximize your enjoyment for the show. And hopefully along the way, some of those things that you are anticipating finding and making a deal on, or maybe even you're expecting to make a deal on, you'll find something that makes you happy. And it may, may not manifest, manifest easy for me to say, itself in the way that you want it to, but sometimes you just have to take what you can get, go with the flow. And uh, overall, this is supposed to be fun, right? This is supposed to be, uh, you know, it's a vacation for some. For me, it's probably the closest thing that I get to a vacation every single year since I work pretty much every single day other than the national. Even then, this is still my livelihood, so I will technically be working on there, but it's a... Uh, you know, it's one heck of a work trip, let me tell you. So that will wrap it up. Uh, this Thursday I'll be at the show, so there will be no podcast, but I will definitely be running back episode 23. Uh, not sure what the topic will be yet, but uh, that will be a week from this Thursday. So, again, if you do attend the show, regardless of how you are traveling there, be safe, be smart, be healthy. Make sure you make, uh, make good decisions. Make sure you have fun. And uh, again, if you see me, make sure you stop and say hello. But that is it for the 2022 National Preview Show here on Sports Card Psychology. I'd love to hear your feedback in the comments down below. If you're going, let me know what your, uh, what your plans are. What are you anticipating you'll see? Where are you hoping to get out of the experience? And uh, who are you hoping to meet as well? If you're, there's someone in the community that you've been uh, looking forward to you know, shaking their hand and all that. So that is it for me today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you again so much for watching. Take care, stay safe, and be kind.